Before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to continue on the theme of hospitality. When we're looking at Pesach, we often focus on the themes of redemption and God's faithfulness and all that he's done for us. These are very, very important and should never be minimized. We focus on the details of how we celebrate Pesach, but I want to focus on uh, the hospitality connection and the spirituality connection with hospitality because these also are foundational. They are part of the essence of the holiday. There's a connection between hospitality and the life of faith. And I want to look today at the Passover connection. So first, I just want to remind you some things that the modern Passover is different than ancient Passovers. The first Passover was unique in this regard. It was a Pesach of waiting, and it was a Pesach of deliverance. On that night, on that Passover night, God went through the land of Egypt looking for one thing, and that was the blood of the Passover lamb having been applied to the doorposts of a house. And where he saw that blood, he stopped, and he protected that house, and he forbade the destroyer from coming to that house and um, taking the life of firstborn sons. It was unique in that respect. Every other Passover is a remembrance. It's a memorial. It's a, it's a recollection. In some parts, it's a reenactment. Because this was such a great and a foundational thing which God had done. Without this, the children of Israel would not have been redeemed and would not have been brought forth out of slavery. And it's impossible as, as a messianic believer to appreciate what the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua mean to us if you don't have full appreciation of Passover, the historic Passover. Now, you can appreciate his death, burial, and resurrection in measure, in some measure, of course, without knowing that. But the scripture is very clear that in order to apprehend who Yeshua is and what he does for us, it, it requires that we are familiar with Pesach. And so, for this reason, we encourage everyone, regardless of your background, regardless of whether you were born into a Jewish family or not, regardless of whether you have expertise in celebrating Passover, that you start celebrating Passover. And if you have been a participant but never led a Passover Seder, this could be your year to do just that. So I would encourage you to have a Passover and to, if necessary, keep it simple by keeping it focused. And remember this, there's a meal that is required. And if, if you look at some of the simple things of the meal, it's, it's lamb, bitter herbs, and matzah. That was the first meal. The recollection which we have recorded in the um, traditional Haggadah in the portion called Korach 
tells us that even up to the time of Yeshua, there was uh, a tradition that was to eat the matzah, the roasted lamb, and the bitter herb all together in one bite. Nowadays, we call it the Hillel sandwich. It's associated with him. Some, some parts of the Jewish world keep eating lamb, some parts don't. I do. I like lamb. But I also like the historic reason and the recollection of it. Later, cups of wine were added, and then other things were added as well, including um, some of the traditional foods like haroset. And I remember having a wonderful experience with an Israeli, uh, and we served him some haroset, and he said, what is this, mazeh? What is it? Because we made Ashkenazi haroset with apples, with honey, with some uh, manischewitz, uh, some cinnamon, some nuts. And he said, this isn't haroset. And we said, yeah, it is. We know it is because this is how my mother made it, how her grandmother made it, and how, and so on. He said, no, no, this is not haroset. So being a good Israeli, he agreed to teach us the correct way. And he taught us to make haroset with dates and nuts and a little wine. And you know what? When you make that haroset and you look at it, it really does look like the mud that they made bricks out of. It makes much more sense than Ashkenazi haroset. But it's so much fun to celebrate Passover with people who come from different Jewish backgrounds and traditions because... Uh, the Jewish way is often to say, no, that's not the right way. This is the right way. And it turns out there are many right ways to do it. But I would encourage you to prepare a meal together, sit together, eat together, and make your Passover celebration a meaningful time with dialogue, with questions, spiritual discussion. Sing some songs, pray together, add other spiritual elements and develop something that can reflect your understandings and become the basis of your family traditions. It'll be more and more meaningful if you do that. And you, if you say, but I've never done it before, you know that's not an excuse. It's not even an explanation. Because uh, we can say that about many things. We need to learn to do them by doing them. It can be simple, even if you're by yourself, to, to read through a Messianic Haggadah, to, to participate by yourself if you're alone, and you shouldn't have to be. But if you're, if you're in a distant place or all alone because of one circumstance or another, you can still keep the Pesach. So I encourage you to do it. Regardless of how experienced you are, you'll never go wrong by trying to do something. Now, if you're Messianic, one of the things this means is that you want to be like Messiah. And you want to be like those who were with him who wanted to be like him. So let's turn to Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. And we'll look at some things about Yeshua and about his disciples. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Then came... 
the day of matzah on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed, and Yeshua sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. And he answered, when you enter the city, a man carrying a jug of water will meet you. Follow him to the house he enters and say to the owner of that house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room already furnished. Make preparations there. Now let's, let's look at some of the details here. The day of matzah is coming. And, and what we call Passover is really a combination of two holidays, but it's united in the name Passover. It's the first day, which is the Passover, and it's the days of matzah as well, um, the days of unleavened bread. Well, Yeshua says to Peter and John, you go and prepare for us to eat the Passover. He expected them to make the arrangements that would be normal and typical for them. To have the meal prepared, to have everything set up. But their question was, where? Where do you want this? And then Yeshua pulls this, you know, only Yeshua can do this. <laughs> when you enter the city, a man carrying a jug of water will meet you. What? <laughs> yeah, he'll meet you, follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of that house, okay, so you're going to see this guy, follow him, and he'll take you to the house. And when you get to the house, just ask for the owner. And then when you get to the owner, ask this, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? <laughs> The, he says, no, don't say it in your name. Say it in my name. The teacher says. So you ask for the owner of the house. When he comes, you say this. The teacher says, where is the guest room where I, might, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he'll show you a large upper room already furnished. Make your preparations there. Isn't that interesting? All the... The pre-preparation Yeshua has done for this. But there's another part he hasn't done at all. He expects his disciples to do that part. And can you imagine, you'd want to get everything right. I mean, you're doing it with Yeshua. I mean, he's the Passover lamb, for goodness sakes. You know, you want to get it right. But they had such familiarity with fellowship and hospitality together they knew what was expected and how to get prepared. And so Yeshua doesn't go through all the details. He doesn't say, okay, so remember it's Passover, so you need a lamb. He didn't say, oh yeah, yeah, matzah. Just go to the Publix. No, he didn't explain those things because everyone knew. Because they had been familiar. You see, to celebrate Passover with your children and with your grandchildren is a gift to them. It may be a first for you, but it will be a gift for them. And I encourage you, please, please get in the habit of making Passover your own 
and part of your family life. Do it and live it and experience it. It will be a blessing to you. Now, if you read elsewhere in the Brita Harashah, you'll discover other details such as this. Yeshua washed the feet of his disciples. And he did that in a very extraordinary way. He also realized, I think, that his disciples were still caught up in this question, who's going to be the greatest? And he had to deal with that so many times. But he wanted to show them something, that he who was the greatest could do the very least thing, that he could be hospitable to them in ways that they could not imagine someone of a high position taking. Uh, he washed their feet. This was the responsibility of someone low. But Yeshua took that position. Once, once Yeshua was talking to his disciples and he said, I came like one who waits on tables. I came as a servant. And if you want to be great, serve. If you want to be the greatest, serve everyone that you can. And when we get the attitude that leadership is servanthood, that leadership is the effective raising up of other people uh, so that they can reach new heights, they can accomplish more, they can be more fruitful, their gifts and talents can be put to use. When that's in our heart, we will do everything we can to raise up more and more people. It's a wonderful, wonderful attribute. And, but Yeshua was saying, I'm not like the Gentiles with my authority. I come to serve. And then he uses the hospitality gifts to teach this. He could have used many other approaches, but he used this approach. It's like, I came like one who waits on tables. He comes as one who washes the feet. It was hard for his disciples to receive him in this fashion. It was hard. They wanted to wash his feet because of their awkward feelings. What Yeshua wanted is for them to receive deep into their heart his example. And then he said to them, you will be blessed if you do this with one another in the future. But unless you let me wash your feet, you really have nothing to do with me now. He was tough. The hospitality that Yeshua demonstrates to us is meant to be an example, not just a message, but a way of life, a way that really touches us and changes us. It changes us in how we allocate our resources, how we spend our money, how we... Um, organize our homes, how we organize our time. It changes how we pay attention to people. When we want to show hospitality to people and to be hospitable, we think about them, not about us. We think about what will be a blessing for them, uh, not what will be a blessing for us. Early in the time we spent in Ukraine, Sandy and I were staying with... Uh, a woman who is so kind and hospitable to us, and she served us sardines. Now, at the time, I had successfully avoided sardines my entire life. (laughs) 
But I understood that she was serving me a delicacy that was expensive for her. And I decided I'm going to eat this sardine with joy. Actually, it's several sardines. And I ate it, and to my delight, it was delicious. So delicious, I asked questions like, what kind of sardines are this? And they were from Riga, that was important. Baltic sardines uh, are delicacies. And I said, these, these are the best I've ever had. <laughs> these are really good, yeah. I don't think I said that, but I did say, these are really good. Well, because I said that, word got around and everywhere I went, people were serving me sardines. <laughs> Why? Because they wanted me to feel comfortable and cared for. And actually, no, I love sardines. I like anchovies too. How many here are anchovy folk? Wow, not many. Ah. So you know what you're missing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once we had some friends over and I had some dried anchovies and um, one of the friends was a little girl, she was maybe seven or eight, and I said, you want to try these? And she said, yeah, what are they? And I said, well, they're anchovies. She said, well, what's that? And I said, well, it's kind of salty. It's, uh, well, you'll see. So she ate it, and she said, that's delicious. And so we went anchovy for anchovy, and we finished the bottle of anchovies. Just her eating one, me eating one. But she had a reaction. She got hives that night. From, I associated with the anchovies. I didn't get hives, but I was a lot bigger than she was. So maybe the proportion. I don't know. It may have been the first and the last time she ate anchovies. But it was a wonderful experience apart from the hives. But we were just trying to make it special. Hospitality is so important that it's identified as one of the qualities that's necessary to be an overseer or an elder in ministry. And I'll, I'll read you some examples in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 2, it says, Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Isn't that interesting? This helps me understand that hospitality is a spiritually connected gift and practice and fruit. Titus chapter 1, verse 8 says, He must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. It's an interesting combination there. You can see how holy and disciplined, upright, self-control, loving what's good, but hospitable, right there at the front of that list. It shows how important the followers of Yeshua thought hospitality was. They believed that it was of the highest order of spirituality to be hospitable. And then you see in, in Peter's instruction, 
which is instruction he's giving to all believers, to men and women. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling or without complaint, without any reluctance. Do it with gladness is another way of saying it. Consider it a privilege to be hospitable. And then 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10 focuses on uh, women of great virtue and describes such a woman this way. People should tell about the good things she's done, raising children, being hospitable, taking care of believers' needs, helping the suffering. Isn't that an interesting list? It's, it's so, so important. When I was going over some of these details with Sandy and I was telling her I thought that this year we needed to emphasize hospitality at Passover. There are other things, of course, uh, always to be emphasized, but hospitality, I think, is something that we've never really addressed as a spiritual topic connected to Passover. Well, she spent some time thinking about hospitality and hospitality uh, in general, and, and she, she made some notes for me that were really useful. She said, hospitality starts at the front door. And then she said, in our synagogues and in our homes. We honor the Lord when we honor our guests. And when we let the spirit of the Lord dwell in your midst together with others, it's a way of honoring the Lord and his people. So to make the decision that, that your doors would open to a house of peace, that this synagogue would be a house of peace, but your house would be a house of peace. So when people come into your house, it's so wonderful if they say, I sense the peace of God here in, my, in your house. I sense the peace of God in this synagogue. We have people coming from many different places who come to Beth Israel, and sometimes they walk into the sanctuary and they say, it feels so peaceful here. Well, all the things that we do for hospitality work together to create an atmosphere where the Lord is honored and the people are respected. Think about the value of friendliness and respect and orderliness and beauty and shalom and how they all work together. And uh, Sandy, you know, Sandy's a detail-oriented person. How many of you knew that? Yeah, she, she can see the big picture, but she also sees details. And she made for me a list of ministries and actions at Beth Israel, which are part of creating an atmosphere of hospitality that welcome the Spirit of God and welcome the people. It's really an interesting uh, list. The signage outside and inside um, creates hospitality. It, it helps people find their way. The clean walkways coming in, thanks to the greeters ministry, the host ministry, for, for watching over that. The clean and orderly building those who serve uh, in the ministries involved with cleanup and setting things up, the janitorial ministries uh, and work. This is so very important. We had um, 
the contractor here and architect who had built out this for us. And they came like five years later just to walk around and they were amazed that things looked great, that everything still looked good. You know, there's still upkeep to do and we have a few more details to do. If you pay close attention, you'll see some cracks in some of the drywall that need repair. But it's wonderful to have a clean, orderly building. The greeters who open the front doors as people approach, you know, they stand on Saturdays at the front doors and open them up and greet people and smile at them. And the greeters who are just a few paces inside the building who point the way into the sanctuary and the greeters at the door to the sanctuary that open to open and close the sanctuary doors. You see some of this more so on Saturday with the larger uh, ministry team than we do on Friday. But we see all these as part of hospitality, helping people feel welcome. The orderliness and the sanctuary, everything in its place, the um, service coordinators who watch over the order in each ministry involved in the whole service, the run sheet and the order of service that's prepared in advance. I've got a list of, I'll, I'll probably go through it tomorrow, not tonight. Um, but a list of all the ministries that work together to put together the service order. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, the opening greeting to everyone attending and the, the cantor's ministry. They've practiced and prepared the Hebrew prayers. The bar and bat mitzvah preparation, by the way. The worship team is practiced. They know their parts. They're playing well together. Uh, the rabbi is often prepared. <laughs> and Sandy noted, the rabbis interface with prayer ministry and other ministries who need announcements and people who need prayer. The service runs smoothly. Everyone does their part. The Shabbat school teachers have prepared themselves and the lessons for the children. Instructions are even given to parents of toddlers. Don't forget your toddlers. We try to have an ending to the Shabbat service so that people know when it's over. I, I, I've been to some congregations where they don't end the service with an ending. It just sort of stops. And people look around for a while. It's like, oh. That's one of the ways that they identify who, who's a newbie. <laughs> I prefer an identifiable element. Even when we take time to tell people, like, we've got a big oneg next door, go next door, take your stuff. You know, that helps people. The, the ministry teams that are involved in locking up these buildings and setting the alarms, Thank you guys for setting the alarms. Thank you for coming and helping us when we trigger the alarms. <laughs> the Shalom Center. Um, there's a committee for the smooth running of the Shalom Center. And we field questions and requests. We work closely with Tracy Abush, who is on the team. And we try not to make snap decisions, but to make decisions that will be really useful and sustainable and set good patterns. Uh, we've got 
when we had the foremans here, they were like examining the details of the Shalom Center. And when Rebison Leslie Schneier from Beth Hallel in Birmingham was here, she was doing the same thing. And they were like taking note, okay, you've got like two sets of tables for serving and, and people can get food on both sides. So you got like four ways people can get food. And we said, yeah, that's what it takes. Years ago, we had like one path and it was so hard years and years ago the people who were last in line waited like 30 minutes to get food. <laughs> but we worked on it, and, and we did some things that now seem obvious. The furniture's in place, it's in order, it's, it's clean. The servers are there greeting people when they come in, into the building. The food's been prepared ahead of time. It's, it's ready, it's on the serving tables. Um, everyone's watching over and taking care of things. The coffee, the water stations are stocked. We're greeting people and welcoming, welcoming them. And we're having communication there, which we can't have here. More extended communication of fellowship. It's a great time to get to know more people and new people and so forth. So every detail requires something. Even the bottles of water over there, someone has kept inventory. Someone has gone, purchased those, brought them, stocked them, and then put them out where necessary. Uh, all of those details happen because people pay attention to hospitality. What will show care and concern and love to one another, doing all these things well. Now, of course, there are many more things we can do and many more things we could do better and better. And uh, I'm so encouraged by the fact that the congregation is growing in the attitude of hospitality and the attitude of welcoming people. It's so important. And I wanna encourage you, keep at it. Keep, uh, keep doing your best. Introduce yourself to people, meet more people, welcome people. Overcome the awkwardness of having seen someone for weeks or months or even years and not knowing their name. Just introduce yourself one more time and ask them their name if you have to. You can say, I'm not good with names. Um, it may be true. But everything, everything that you do that's hospitable makes a difference. And it's these kinds of details that Yeshua was talking about. Be hospitable. It's what the apostles learned from him. Be hospitable. Leadership needs to be hospitable. We need to be people who have a heart to serve in many, many different ways. Welcoming people, including people, and so forth. So I share this with you because it's a neglected part of Passover. But a Passover, you really can't have a Passover Seder without hospitality. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your instruction about hospitality. Thank you for your Pesach. Thank you for being our redeemer and also being our teacher. And let it be, Lord, that we can serve according to your pattern and we can take to heart your example and your message that you came as one who serves. You came as one who waits on tables, and you humbled yourself to come to us. And let it be that we respond with humility 
and with gratitude. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So we're going to close the service. If you're standing by yourself, I invite you to move a little bit. Make way. <laughs> Dancing Jonah. I didn't know you were so, you were, that was pretty cool. We should try that again. That was very, that was nice. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichimecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.